shall come to thee, O Let's take our Bibles today, turn over to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter 13, uh, chapter 13, Genesis chapter 13, I just feel like everybody's having a rough time tonight, it just feels like it's a little down in here, you know, so I guess I'm just going to have to do something to pick up the spirits, <laughs> I, just, I just feel it, I just, yeah. You know, why, why did the uh, Dalmatian go to the optometrist? She was seeing spots. Right? All right, some of you still aren't getting it. Why, why, why do ghosts love health food? Because it's supernatural. See, I, this isn't working. You guys are really down tonight. Guess who I bumped into on the way to the eye doctor? Everybody. All right? Everybody, yeah. Yeah. Why do you think birds always congregate on power wires? 
so they can hang out with their friends online. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to stop with that one, okay? I better quit. All right. Genesis chapter 13, beginning in verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. There was strife between the herdmen of Abraham's cattle, Abram's cattle, and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. They separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. We've been talking about how to make a decision. And of course, we see in this particular passage a decision that's made. And unfortunately, that decision affected Lot and his family extremely negatively. And so we realize so many things about decisions. We recognize that it's important that we make good decisions because bad decisions lead to bad places. Good decisions lead to good places for the most part. We said that there's a number of things we need to do before making a decision. We need to recognize the potential dangers. We also said we need to remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. Tonight I want to talk about and address this thought. We need to realize that our decisions affect not only us, but our families and others. So that your decision affects not only you, but your family and others. And that's important to remember as we begin to make decisions. Because once we've made the decision, it's too late. Many times we're, going to, we're already headed in that direction. Now we can sometimes backpedal, sometimes we can kind of regroup a little bit and hopefully the consequences aren't too great. But most of the time when we make a decision, it puts wheels in motion that ultimately lead us to a destination. So we're going to realize tonight that our decision affects not only us, but our family and others. And so let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll talk about that. i got three thoughts that go along with that, and we'll be done tonight. Now, Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather tonight. Lord, how important it is that we make good decisions. Lord, our decisions affect everyone and everything around us. And I ask, dear God, that you would fill me with your spirit and allow me to be your mouthpiece. Tonight, may I be an encouragement and a blessing. May the instruction of the word of God inspire people to be better for you. Now, Lord, I ask that, again, that you'd be uh, exalted in this place. You're so worthy of our praise. We thank you for loving us, caring about us, and just meeting our needs. And, Lord, tonight, we want you to speak to us and uh, do something in our lives. Father, may something that's said tonight truly impact us in a very positive way, enabling us to make wiser decisions, better decisions. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So again, we said, okay, if we're going to 
make decisions, which you can't avoid. We said there's some things we need to do before making that decision. And we said recognize the potential dangers. Remember how tough it is to remain faithful in the midst of temptation. And tonight, we want to address, realize that your decision affects not only you, but your family and others. First of all, no one is an island. No one is an island. Take your Bible, if you would. Turn over to the book of Romans, chapter 14. Romans, chapter 14, if you would. We're going to begin there in verse 5. Romans chapter 14. Notice what it says beginning in verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. Romans 14, verses 5 through 8. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. Verse 7. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord... Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. Now, the passage in context is dealing with unity. How are we to walk in unity when we may have some differences? And that's what he's dealing with here. First, it must be noted that the differences that are being expressed do not cross over the line of right and wrong. They don't violate scriptural truth. They don't disregard morality or purity. That's not the differences we're addressing. We're never at liberty to define or redefine the moral high ground established by God himself. You and I are never given the right to choose what is right or wrong. God defines what's right and wrong. The word of God outlines what's right and wrong. He is the sovereign God. He's the one who determines what is good and evil, right and wrong. See, when someone says, well, why is murder wrong? Well, because it goes contrary to, to society. It, it's, it's, it's just terrible. Well, that's not the reason. I'll tell you why murder's wrong, because God says it's wrong. I mean, we live in a world that, well, what, 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 you know, I don't see anything wrong with adultery. Well, wait a second. doesn't matter. The culture can change. And it can ultimately redefine what right and wrong is or what good and evil is. But can I tell you that God's Word defines what's right and wrong? Well, I don't think it's wrong to steal. There are certain circumstances where stealing's Okay. Well, who defined it that? Who, who, who decided that? You, you came up with that on your own, obviously. You've created in your own mind a standard of morality or what is right and wrong in your own mind. But the truth is, right and wrong is defined by God, and it is only God that has the right to do so. So as we start thinking about this element of liberty or unity that's supposed to exist among believers as a result, and that's what the passage is talking about is unity... 
how we are to strive together, live together, work together, even though there may be some differences in our lives and different perspectives and outlooks, but they're not, we're not talking about issues that are, are morally wrong. We're not talking about issues that violate scriptural truth or God-given design. The passage is pointing out that basically the the significance or the importance of a person's conduct is is not really so much about what other people think about it, is what the Lord thinks about it. Now, Now let's not get all pious though. Well, God doesn't think what I'm doing is wrong, so I don't care what you think. That is not how it's determined. We're going to understand it's like this. Think about this for just a minute, okay? Think about, you ever see a bicycle and it has a wheel and there are spokes in the wheel, right? Now, take two of those spokes, okay? One here and one here. We've got the big wheel and there's all these spokes going to this hub, right? Here's this big, these spokes right here. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. The closer you bring your fingers down following those spokes toward the hub, the closer what? They get, right? These two points. Here they come. Now, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about that a minute because the Lord Jesus Christ, so to speak, is the hub of the wheel of the Christian fellowship, of Christian fellowship. He's at the center, and we're all on the wheel somewhere. The truth is is this, that as you and I draw closer to Jesus Christ, we will draw closer together in unity. This isn't a matter of you having liberty to do what you choose to do as you choose to do it. The fact is the responsibility of every believer is to draw closer to God. And as we draw closer to God, we will be closer together. The problem today is that most of the time, if we're honest, we're not drawing as close to God as we ought to be. We're not moving in the right direction. And as a result, we have all these massive differences among believers because one's way out here, one's down here, one's here, one's there, one's here. And everybody, we can't get along. The truth is that you're responsible, and so am I, to continue to work on my relationship with Christ to the point where I keep getting closer to the hub. And as I get closer to the hub, I will get closer to those that are in pure fellowship with Jesus Christ. Oh, I know there are those that will say, well, it's okay to social drink as a believer. Unfortunately, that violates a biblical principle. That's not a matter of liberty. That is sin. But when it comes to issues that we don't necessarily all agree on, that's all right as long as they don't violate a biblical principle. But I can tell you this, the closer we get to Jesus Christ, the closer our fellowship will be and our unity will be stronger than ever. And that's what he's talking about in this passage in chapter chapter 14 of the book of Romans. He's talking about getting along, fellowshipping one with another, Unity in the Christian faith amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we respond selfishly, we begin moving away from God. And that movement will bring division between us and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And only, only as we move closer to God can we truly enjoy the unity amongst ourselves that God had intended. 
None of us lives unto himself. None of us dies unto himself. Your choices and your decisions affect the fellowship of all involved here. Everybody feels the effect of a failure to draw close to God. If you draw closer to him, we feel the effect of that as well. But no one is an island. No one. Every action has an equal reaction. And as we draw closer to God on this axis or hub of fellowship, it affects the unity. As we draw away, it affects the unity also, but in the wrong way. Realize that your decisions also affect not only you, but your family and others as well. The idea somehow that you and I can make decisions that only affect ourselves is a fallacy. It is a lie that we have deceived ourselves to believe. I'm not hurting anybody. What I do is my business. Really. If you really believe that, you are in the midst of darkness today. You are so deceived by Satan. You have bought into a lie. You have been hooked by Satan. And you're going to be put on the fire soon. He's going to chew you up and spit you out. There is no way in the world that you and I can make decisions and it not affect others because there's not one of us in this room that is on an island or is an island. None of us. Our fellowship with God affects our fellowship with others and every decision we make impacts those around us. Not only that, but so we see that Our decisions affect not only you, but your family and others, that no one's an island. But number two, you're responsible for those in your circle of influence. There is an element of responsibility that rests on the shoulder of each and every one of us. See, the definition of leadership is influence. Influence is leadership, plain and simple. And I know that there's all kinds of definitions today, but if you just boil it down to its most simplest form, it's just leadership is influence. Listen, if, if you aren't out front, then you aren't leading. And if you're not out front, no one's following. If you're out front and people are following you, you know what they're following? Your influence. Leadership's influence. Sociologists tell us that even the most introverted individual, introverted meaning into the, like this inward, not outward. They're not the life of the party. They don't walk into a room, hey! They're just kind of, kind of off in the corner by themselves, content to just say, mm-hmm. introverted. Not necessarily wrong, not necessarily right, it's just what it is. Unless God tells you to get out there and start talking to people and you won't do it. Then that's pride. But anyway, we'll move on. 
But then again, if you are the one that walks in a room and always talks and consumes the room and God tells you to be quiet and you don't, well, that's pride too. So, you know, you just take the good with the bad, right? But nonetheless, we all, he says, sociologists, I'm telling you, they, they say even the most introverted individual will influence around 10,000 other people during their lifetime. The conclusion is that each one of us is both influencing and being influenced by others. That's the reality. There's nowhere you go that you are not influenced by somebody. And there's nowhere you go that you don't, in a sense, influence someone else. That means that all of us are leading in some area, while in other areas we're just being led. No one's excluded, by the way. No one's excluded from being a leader or a follower. And you know what? Realizing our potential as a leader is our responsibility. To recognize the idea that, yes, somebody could be following me. Somebody's being influenced by me, which means I have, in essence, a sense of leadership there in that moment. There ought to be a sense of responsibility there. To the youngest, to the oldest, it doesn't matter. There's a sense of responsibility that exists. For instance, take the mother. A mother in the home, they may be the dominant influencer over a child in the morning, of course, before school starts. I mean, they're over there, you know, choosing what the child eats, choosing what the child wears, getting them ready. The child who was influenced, however before school by mom, then becomes the influence of other children once they get at school. All of a sudden, other children are being influenced by them. Dad and mom may meet at a restaurant for lunch, and guess what? Both of them are influenced by the waiter who says, you know what? That's the best thing on the menu. Oh, I'll have that. Every one of us are influencing or being influenced. And we are responsible to be careful with that influence. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Turn there, would you? Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Notice what it says here in Mark chapter 9, beginning verse 42. It's not, a, it's not a passage you haven't heard and you'll be like, oh, okay. But it, 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 it kind of drives us to this point again. It makes it clear how important it is, the decisions we make, because it's always influencing, the, the, the motions we make, the things we do and say. It, notice it says in Mark 9, 42, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. We look at that passage and we understand we're saying, okay, Jesus is talking about children here and, you know, there's little ones and, you know, he cares about kids and, you know, the little ones are important to him. And so you better be careful how you treat those little ones. And there's no doubt that's true. But I believe there's a far greater uh, even uh, application here. When we talk about little ones, I think we think about babies. I think about Christian babies, too. 
And I think about how important it is that, that we don't offend them, that we don't do something as a, a more mature Christian or one that's been saved longer that would somehow undermine God's work in their life or undermine the Word of God or undermine what God's trying to accomplish by, by, uh, in the house of God and in the work of God in their life. We, we have a responsibility then to influence in a very proper way. And we can influence them positively, we can influence them negatively. And again, I understand the context of it, but I also mean there's an application here. In three of four Gospels, this particular passage is set forth. Three out of four of the Gospels, he literally says the same exact thing virtually. I mean, it's almost identical, word for word. Obviously, the impact that we have on others is important to God. And as you, as a, a dad, a mom, or, or I don't know, I don't even as a teenager or a young person making decisions, you have to understand that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you and I have a responsibility for those in our circle of influence. We can't just say, well, I don't care, you know, it's not my job. Well, it is your job, it matters. You say, but I'm not that important. Doesn't matter. If you have any influence at all, and you do, then you are leading someone sometime in your life. And as a believer, you have a responsibility, a responsibility for those in your circle of influence. Well, I only got one friend. Well, then you better start leading them right. And the truth is, when you go out to that restaurant and you're sitting in that chair, listen, you know why I think it's so important that we get our children under control, why it's important that they're disciplined, why we're going to spend four weeks in the month of January in our train of a child classes? Because I think it's a horrible, horrible, horrible testimony to go to a restaurant and our children run around the table while we're trying to eat dinner. It's a horrible testimony. Children back-talking mom and dad or children not doing what they're told to me, that does, not, that does not look good for Jesus Christ. And you say, well, that's, I, I just don't agree with how you, it doesn't matter what I say, it doesn't matter what my position is, I just want to know, what does God say about it? What does God say about the discipline? Why do I do the train up of child classes? Why did I spend all the time I have through the years trying to help families? Because I believe biblically and scripturally, our children will never turn out spiritually until they turn out physically. If they are not trained properly as youngsters to be disciplined in their physical life, they will never transfer that to their spiritual. Pretty soon, the rest of their days, they'll be struggling to read a Bible and pray consistently because they never learned how to say no to their flesh. And our testimony before the world is so important. And whether you want to be an influence or not, when you sit down in that restaurant, there are people watching you. That's why we say, make sure you bow your head and pray. Why? Because somebody's watching. Finally, C, or three. We already noted a couple of things. We said we need to realize that our decision affects not only us, but our family and others. And first, we need to realize we're not an island. And that we're responsible for those in our circle of influence. And finally, I want to just... Consider this thought for a few minutes as we close. What is best for you is not always what's best for others. 
You know, we are really, <clears throat> really good at rationalizing, justifying, or excusing our actions when, when they hurt others. We're good at it. I, listen, I, I don't mean to hurt anybody, but let me tell you something. Um, when we start watching divorce as it wrecks and ruins families and the total carnage it creates and causes, we can go ahead and tell ourselves every, all day long it's in the best interest of our kids. But studies have proven that's not the case. And the Word of God has always said, what God hath put together, let no man put asunder. What He's joined together, let no man put asunder. God has reasons for what He does. And if you've been down that road, you of all people know how devastating it can be. You wouldn't wish that on your worst nightmare, or your worst, uh, your worst enemy. You, you know better. And I thank God for people that have been through that kind of horrific situation, have had to deal with that hurt, that heartache, and have come through it and said, you know what, i got to give it to God. He's the only one that's going to help me. I'm going to trust Him. And man, God's using you. I thank God for that. And I think and believe God can. But let me tell you something. Too many times we're trying to justify things when we're in the midst of a mess like that to somehow make ourselves feel good about it. Now, there are situations we cannot control. And I'm not, I, I don't have all the answers. But I'm just saying as a general rule, biblically speaking, he doesn't seem to be the one that's saying Christians ought to be running around justifying things like that. Moving. We're going to move our family. Now, here's why we're going to do it. Well, we're going to make more money and we'll be able to go to better schools and we'll be able to uh, have nicer clothes and we'll be able to provide more for my family. And I'll be able to... Oh, man, we're good at justifying all this. But is it really what's best for everybody or is it what's best for us? What kind of spiritual training will your children receive where you're moving to or where you're going? Will that job provide you with the opportunity, the time to spend with your family or will they be pretty much out on their own for a while while you simply go to work and do your job and make all that money that's supposed to make them happy. I'm just saying, sometimes we are very good at justifying the decisions we make. I think about stuff like uh, whether we're, we're moving or getting a new job or working more hours and doing all the decisions, making the decisions we do. Be careful. Just because a decision seems to be the best for you doesn't always mean it's best for everybody else. Be careful with that. I personally am convinced that God alone knows what's best for you and me. He knows what's best for my children. He knows more about what's best for my kids than I do. Do you know that he actually cares more about my children than I do? Do you know that he loves my wife more than I do? And he loves me more than I can even imagine. Too often we convince ourselves that what we believe is what's best for us. Uh, you know, again, that new job, that different church, that new car, that house, that hobby that we're going to start or that hobby we're going to change to. It's got to be best for everybody else because it's what I think is best for me. The only, uh, I don't know, I wonder, I, wonder, I wonder if Lot went to his wife and said, Honey, what do you think about this move? What do you think? I don't know that he didn't. I'm just saying, I wonder if he did. Now, if his wife has even a half a brain in her head, he would have been wise to go to his wife and say, Honey, this is a pretty big decision. I'd kind of like to get some feedback. Abraham and I have been talking, you know, and he believes and I believe that this is, you know, 
this town ain't big enough for the two of us. So we're going to have to separate, but he told me I could, get the, I could make the decision. And man, I'll tell you what, I've been checking out the planes over there and they're looking good. I just wonder what you think. She's like, oh, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I just told you it looks good. I've been sitting up on the hill watching it for the last three weeks, and I'm telling you, it looks real good. I know, but they say there's that place down there, and it's not good. They say there's some wicked people down there. Oh, like God can't protect us there? What, you think I'm just going to throw away my Christianity? Well, I'm just going to jump on in and get with them guys? Forget it. No, come on, you know me. You know what I'm all about. And she's probably thinking, yeah, I know a little bit about what you're all about. I'm just saying he'd have been pretty wise probably to ask her. I hope he did. He'd have been real wise to go to his uncle and say, hey, hey, Abraham, what do you think about this decision? You think I'm very wise for going down there? You think pitching my tent towards Sodom's a good idea? I think it's great, Abraham, and I think it's going to be great for my family. I don't think he did something just because he thought it just, I, I think in his own mind he convinced himself, this has got to be great for all of us. We're all going to prosper. We're all going to do better than ever. Man, we're going to be rolling in the dough. It's going to be wonderful. I'll be able to provide them for my kids. I'll have a, a generation of, of wealth for my family, and man, it's going to be good. But it was anything but good. He never had no generation or whatever you call that. He didn't have wealth, generational wealth. He didn't even have a legacy other than the Ammonites and the Moabites who became the enemies of God's people. Can you imagine? I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know who he talked to. I don't know what went down there. We've, we, we spoke a lot. We've spoken a lot about the example in Scripture of the Israelites who were told not to enter into any covenant or agreement with the people of the land, that were, the people of the land they were going to go uh, into the land that they were going to occupy. Remember how that was when they came out of Egypt? And while on their journey, we said that they met up with the Gibeonites, or the Gibeonites met up with them, I should say. They swore to them. They said, oh, no, no, we're from a far country. We are from a far country. Can't you see the clothes we're wearing? Can't you see the drinks and all the stuff we had? Man, all these cobwebs on everything, and things are falling apart. Are you kidding me? You know we have to be from a long ways off. They had done a, they'd gone to great lengths to prove it. They did a good job, too. They deceived the people. They deceived even Joshua, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, they're just a bunch of bold-faced liars, but it worked. Joshua and the leaders of Israel failed to go to God, and they failed to ask God's opinion of the situation. They trusted their own instincts, and they trusted their personal observations above God. And as a result, they entered into a covenant with the Gibeonites that would prove itself to be a very painful one over time. You know, I really am convinced that God's probably the only one that really knows what's best for me. I think it's easy for me to be deceived in that area. I think that's true in all of our lives. I get real nervous when preachers start talking about, well, I think my time here is done. I think it's time for me to move on. I've given everything I can to the people. Why do you believe that? Well, they just don't seem to want to follow me anymore. Huh. Yeah, that's got to be a sure sign. Because people always make up our minds for us. They always determine our decisions, right? 
did God tell you that? Well, I can see. It's just the handwriting's on the wall. Oh, that's, that's what's best for you. What about what God thinks? Did you ever go to him yet? Oh, yeah, I pray about it all the time. Yeah, I can tell. Huh. So we, what do they say? You go from the pot to the fire or something like that? From the firing pan to the frying pan to the fire or something? Yeah. It's not good. James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. They give it to all men liberally and abradeth not and it shall be given him. Boy, do we need that wisdom. Godly wisdom. And we're making decisions on behalf of others all the time and, and that, those decisions are, are paramount. They're important. I mean, Lot made some decisions and it affected his family extremely negatively. I think he forgot maybe that he wasn't, he wasn't an island. Maybe he struggled to, to remember for a while that he was responsible for those in the circle of his influence. Possibly he neglected to think or somehow caught the guy idea that somehow what was best in his mind for him, he thought was best for everybody else. And in reality, it just wasn't. It just wasn't. Maybe he should have went to God. Maybe he should have went to Abraham. Maybe he should have talked to his wife. Maybe he should have talked to one of his servants that was really sharp with, the, with, with things and spiritually strong. I don't know. But you know what I do know? We need to Stop playing God and start obeying God. That's something we all got to do better. We got to choose to put others before ourselves too. We know our our memory verses for this year, we've already had them, but Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. And he goes on to finally say, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. No one placed things of others before their own welfare more than Jesus did. He always put other people's needs, other people's hurts ahead of his own. And, and that's what the Bible said. The Bible saying, that's the mindset that we must embrace. We are leaders, whether we want to admit it or not. And we have to remember there are so many people depending on us. You must put them above yourself if you truly want to demonstrate and exhibit the mind of Christ. Unselfishness is a prerequisite to true and successful leadership. And we are all leaders to some degree or another because every last one of us has influence whether we want to admit it or not, we do. Whether it's at work, at school, out at play, whether it's in the church, in the home, just at the grocery store, we're influencing people. Realize that your decision affects not only you but your family and others. So before we make decisions, let's consider that thought, that that idea. Because no one is an island. And we are responsible for those in our circle of influence. And what may seem best for me is not always what's best for others. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this time together. And Lord, we're grateful, Father, for just the simplicity of your word. And 
Lord, there's no doubt, Lord, that you give us the desires of our hearts so many times. When you say, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, you shall give us the desires of our heart. Thank you for the fact that, Lord, so many times we, we can be right on target and there's no problem. But, Lord, may we not go in our own direction. We have to have, you know, we have to be seeking your face. We need to delight in you. And as we delight in you, Lord, and as we draw closer to you, just like the, that, that point on the spokes moving toward the hub, Lord, we'll have greater fellowship with you, better fellowship with others. And Lord, it, it'll be so much easier to see the truth as we draw closer to you. Help us, Father, just to be more like Jesus and to be very careful to use our influence for your glory. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed.